Welcome to the Purpose of Pain podcast with your host, Michelle Clark, encouraging all listeners to discover the purpose of their pain. There is not a person on earth who hasn't experienced pain within their lifetime. I hope that you are inspired by my guests' real life stories and how they discovered their purpose through the pain that they experienced. As a person who has found her purpose through unbearable pain, my aim through this podcast is to show the listeners that they are not alone. We all go through seasons, but I do believe that every season has a meaning. So ask yourself, why did I go through that? I pray that all will be revealed to you. Our pain does not have to be in vain. Let's use it for a purpose that can serve others. So let's be vulnerable. Let's be authentic. And let's be transparent as we reveal the pain from which our purpose came. Hello listeners, welcome back to episode four, can you believe it? Episode four of the Purpose of Pain podcast. I am super excited. I'm sitting here with the magnificent Letitia Francis. I wish you could see her. She's got on these amazing statement glasses. She looks fire. She looks so cool. I was just telling her how amazing her glasses are. So Letitia is here with me and Letitia is not joking she has just told me that she set herself a goal to do 50 50 of these podcasts and I'm so honored to say that she's chosen the purpose of pain podcast and this is her ninth one so I'm super happy to receive her today listeners I hope you're ready I'm going to hand it over to Letitia so she can give you a formal introduction of who she is and everything else that she thinks you may need to know Letitia over to you. Hello, Michelle. Thank you for this opportunity. I am Letitia and I'm originally from Bermuda. I moved to the UK eight years ago to pursue a career in commercial insurance. And I have since which walked away from my nine to five to really pursue my purpose. Um, I have spent years searching for the reason for my story. And I, I have found a reason to show up every day. I am now a business mindset coach, and I really am dedicated to helping Black women in particular find the courage and confidence needed to build their, their dream business and leave their nine to five. Oh, wow. I love that. So you're teaching these fantastic women to do exactly what it is that you've done. You are the proven model. You know that it can work. It's absolutely amazing. You are obviously a very bold character. You're fearless. And to be able to be coaching in that field, that's obviously something that I would say you need, you know, feel the fear, but do it anyway. Do it anyway. <laughs> show up and show out for yourself. That's yeah. I love that, Letitia. Absolutely fantastic. Well, listeners, you are in for a treat with Letitia. There are no questions that she doesn't want me to ask her. She's an open book. She said that you're going to ask her anything. And I'm like, wow, okay, this is going to be juicy. So Letitia is basically speaking to you about validation and how people feel that need to be validated just think for a second just be honest with yourself have you ever been there maybe not now but maybe you've been there are you an overcomer of such things where you had a time in your life where you really felt like I need validation of this person I need validation of this group of people to give me identity so that I can fit in, because maybe at the time you were a bit lost, you didn't really know who you were. I'm so happy Letitia is touching on this today. So Letitia, 
take us right back to the beginning. So what happened when you were at the tender age of 14? Well, I actually want to take you back farther than that. Sure, go back. Yeah. At the age of seven, I was told by a family member that my birth was the reason for my parents' divorce. And that was the heaviest burden that a seven-year-old could carry. I blamed myself for adult situations. I put myself right in the middle of things that I didn't understand. And it left me really in a dark place. I didn't understand that statement. I wasn't in a place mentally um, to process that statement. And what it meant to me was I was worthless. I came into this world and I tore apart what was meant to be love. And I spent years from that process, from getting that information, um, really in a place where I just wanted someone to show me love. I didn't love myself because I came into this world and I tore my parents apart. Both of my parents remarried um, and both of my parents' spouses made it known that they did not want anything to do with me. So that furthered my narrative that I was worthless. I was not worth love. I wasn't worth anything. And I started acting out. I was very rambunctious as a child. I wanted attention. I wanted people to show me that I wasn't as bad as I had conjured in my head. And I, I did things for attention. I did things for validation so that I could feel better about myself. And at the age of 14, I was searching for love because I felt unloved in my home life. You know, my mom had two new children who she was focusing on. That was her family unit. My father was married and his wife had a son and that was his family unit. And here I was trying to find my place in the middle of that. And I met a man that was 28 years old who showed me the world. And as a, I'm a Disney lover, right? Love, love, love Disney. And growing up as a Disney lover, you know, we are almost programmed to believe that as women, we need to be looking for our knight in shining armor, someone to come in and save us. And here this 28-year-old man was showing me attention showing me affection, listening to me when I needed to get things off my chest. And that to me signified love, the love that I had been searching for for seven years. Wow. At the age of 14, you know, you think you know everything. You think, you know, you got your life planned out. You can't tell me nothing, you know. (laughs) So, you know, people around me knew I was dealing with this man and they tried to talk me out of it. But this was the only safe place for me. You know, I couldn't go talk about how I was feeling to my mama because she would brush it off. She would deal with my my sisters. I couldn't go talk to my daddy about it because he was focused on his family. And Everyone in between were aligned with my parents because I had started showing out, you know, I was labeled the rude child, the black sheep. Mm. So I had the problem that needed to be solved. Not no one ever taking the time to get to the root of the problem here. Right. Right. Yes. I went to counseling to modify my behavior. I went to therapy. I was on antidepressants at one point in time to modify me which only furthered my narrative that it was something wrong with me that I was the one that was defective Um, and having someone in my corner who I felt had my best interest in heart was a big thing for me but one thing I've learned over the years when we enter into relationships when we are wounded or when we are searching for things when we are wounded, it's almost like being 
an injured fish in the ocean. Wow. And that great white shark mm. that can smell my blood a thousand miles away yep. is suckling, waiting to take advantage of my wounds. And, you know, as being 14, I didn't understand what was going on. I didn't understand that a man at 28 interested in a 14 year old was a predator. I didn't understand that. You know what I mean? I was preyed upon. I was groomed. I was then diminished because he used every part of my story. Your parents didn't want you, you ruined your parents' lives to keep me in line. And that's how it began. You know, he always used to remind me of what he was doing for me that nobody else in my life was willing to do. I became um, almost like I owed him something, you know, because he saved me. And that went on for years. And I remember the first time he put his hands on me. I was 15, maybe 16. No, I wasn't 16 yet. I was 15 when it happened. And I remember knowing, having a clear, clear understanding that this is not right. And I'm not dealing with it. So I broke up with him. He choked me, um, let me say. And I broke up with him. And because I was spending so much time with him, like I had clothes up his house, like I was practically living with this man at 15. I had to pack up all my stuff and take it back to my mom's house. And I remember I, I went to my uncle's house who lived not too far from him with a trash bag, crying my eyes out because this man had put his hands on me. And I wouldn't tell my family what happened because I didn't want there to be repercussions for him. So I I moved back in with my mom and things were not great. We argued constantly. I had tasted freedom. So coming back to rules, like you can't tell me what to do. You know what I mean? I was bitter about being back in that situation. Mm. So me and my mom have got into a really big fight and I remember being sent to my father. And my father dealt with me for about two weeks and then told me, you know, my wife really doesn't want to raise another child. Mm. So you got to go back to your mama. So again, furthering that feeling that I'm not worthy, nobody wants me. Um, I was back in my mom's house, very resentful. And I remember one night having an argument with her husband. And saying, you know what? I'm just going to kill myself. So, Letitia, I'm just going to stop you there. You've said so much. And I'm literally just like, wow. In my head, all I can think is overcomer. You really are an overcomer. When I think back to 14-year-old Michelle... You're so right. You do think you're grown. You think you know everything. But when I really think back, it's like you were still a child. You were still a child. So at the time when you met this 28 year old man, was you still living with your mom at this point? And how did she feel about the relationship? Was it something that she tried to stop? But like you said, you were really acting out. So did she know and you went ahead anyway? Or was it something that you kind of did behind the scenes? Everyone in my life knew about my boyfriend. Right, right. And it's so, I'm I'm glad that you brought it up because obviously we know now as grown women that a 28 year old man to even have any interest in a 14 year old girl is so wrong on so many levels and like we say we can look back in hindsight and see that now but at the time you were as you say you needed that validation you were missing so much you weren't complete he had or so you thought he had everything that you needed and it seems like he was a very narcissistic character in the sense where the control and let me just remind you 
every time you try to come to me, what I've done for you or what mm-hmm. I'm doing for you, why you're here, why I'm so amazing, I'm helping you right now. That must have been so hard. Let's go back to the first time that he put his hands on you. Can I just say, I just want to applaud you for getting out, for getting out and not staying there, especially at such a young age. I can't imagine how difficult that must have been. What was going through your mind? Had he ever showed any type of signs that he could be really physical in that aggressive way? Or was it a complete shock? It wasn't a shock. And the reason why it wasn't a shock, when my mother found out about him, she did a background check. And he had a history of beating women. So I knew that that was the case. I questioned him about it. And obviously the story was twisted. You know, they they were crazy. They were trying to ruin my life. And, you know, I was blindly in love. So I'm going to believe what he said. Like my mom's intentions was to break us up. So yeah, there were truth there, but he's never done that to me. Wow. And isn't that so true of so many women, even women that would have been twice your age at that point? It's so true. I hear it all the time. Sometimes they go into a relationship with a man and they know that he has a history of something, but they feel that they can change him. Or like you said, well, he hasn't done it to me. And in in a sense, that kind of validates you as well, because you're thinking, well, I'm, I'm the special one. I'm the one that he's never done this to. So it was them. It was the other women. It was their issue. So when he actually did put a hand on you, how did that, give me a picture of what that looked like. Did you, did you go for him? Was you in shock? Did you storm out? Just take us back to that day and what that actually looked like. I had walked into his house and he had found some, letters (laughs) I I laugh at it now but he had found some letters that somebody at school had written me and he felt like it was inappropriate I was literally blindsided I walked into his bedroom and he came from behind the door and choked me and proceeded to tell me that he found these letters and I'm cheating on him and I'm gonna die And he got me onto the ground and was literally kneeling on my neck. And like someone in his household pulled him off of me. Okay. In that process, I was in complete shock because two seconds ago, I was happy walking into his bedroom. And in that small span of time, he managed to get me onto the floor and kneel on my neck. And I was sh- I was shook. I, I, I was in shock. I didn't, I, I, I didn't know how to process that, but I knew that I needed to leave. Like that was so scary to me, you know? Wow. Yeah. Just even listening to, to what you're saying, that is really scary really scary even for a grown woman as I keep saying so to remember at this point that you are still a young girl to have to go through something like that and he is more well almost more than twice your age and he knows it's wrong and yet he proceeds to do it because he's blinded by jealousy rage everything else thank god for that person that pulled him off so was you honest at this point did you just leave him and just say to your parents you know it didn't work out we broke up or was you honest in what he did to you and if you were what was their reaction i never told anybody wow and i can imagine i can i can see why because obviously like you said mama did her checks Mama did her background check. So it's almost like you didn't want to hear the, I told you so. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So I hear that. So what does that look like now when you leave him? Are there ever any sightings of each other after that? Any conversations? Or is it just a clean break? 
Well, we end up getting married. <laughs> what? Take me there, girl. What happened? <laughs> I got into a really big fight with my mom and her husband and I tried to commit suicide and in that moment my mother's husband decided that my decision to kill myself should be a family spectacle he called my sisters into the kitchen he called my mother into the kitchen he turned on all the lights and they watched me take a handful of pills and swallow it with water and walk out of the house uh, after recovering from that, um, I was bitter, like super bitter. Like, first of all, mama, you're married to this guy who wanted me to die mm. and you did nothing. Yeah. I was angry and anything after that, that my mother said to me, it sparked fire. Mm. Like we would have big fights. Wow. And after one argument, I left the house. I don't even remember where I went, but a couple of days later I came home and I had gotten a registered ladder. Like I had to go pick up this ladder and it was a legal document saying that I was no longer allowed on my mother's property. And if I came to her property, she had the right to um call the police so I was under 18 at that point I had nowhere to go and because of you know my relationship with my mother was so bad mm. all of her family knew about it I couldn't go to them for shelter I wasn't speaking to my father at the time so I couldn't go to him for shelter mm. so I was on my own needing somewhere to go the only place that I could think of was this man's house. Oh, so wow. I went back like, you know, a little puppy with my tail in between my legs and begged for somewhere to go. Mm. And I went back and things were amazing at first. You know what I mean? Like he treated me amazing. It was almost as if those things had been forgotten. Yes. Um, but the emotional abuse that ensued after that was intense and I think it's worth noting that you know before we got married I started working in a law enforcement agency and being in that environment it made me realize coming from Bermuda is a very 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 small community like 65,000 people 21 square miles if something happens to you, the way people are, your neighbor knows more about your business than you do. <laughs> so for me, being in law enforcement, I had to really cover up what was going on because I didn't want my colleagues to know what was going on because I knew if I ever called the police, the police would be telling people <laughs> what's happening. Like I, I worked there. I know what happens. I knew everybody's business because the police were telling everybody's business. And I did not want that to be me. So I went through a lot of emotional abuse. The, the physical abuse began again. Um, he used to torture me at night, um, keep me up by pouring water in my ears. He used to pour liquor on me and tell me he will set me on fire if I go to sleep. Um, you know, I was constantly being choked if I spoke out of turn or punched or slapped. And it's interesting. I am a very strong personality. I will tell you, I never dealt with that before fighting back. Mm. I fought back. I fought back every single time. So as much as I had bruises, so did he. Mm. But at the same time, he was still a man. And no matter how hard I ever tried, I could never overpower him. Yeah. So I continued on, you know, we got married. I got married at, at, at 18 and, you know, I put on a show for everybody because I spent so much time trying to justify why I'm in this relationship, try to, you know, defend him, um, 
from people that I created a bubble for myself. I wasn't able to tell people what was going on. Mm. And I remember, you know, even as a young child, a lot of my friends used to come to me for advice. And I remember very clearly I had come home one night and my husband wasn't home. I could not find myself in, which I knew in the back of my head was going to be a problem for me. And my, my landline rang, somebody called my landline and I answered the phone. It was a friend who was in an abusive relationship. (laughs) Funny enough. And she was looking for advice not knowing what I was going through. And I remember picking up a book called Until Today by Ian Lovenzet. It's like a daily devotional. Mm. And I randomly picked a date, just randomly. And that date was talking about how someone is in your life for a reason, a season, or a lifetime. And the reason why we tend to have problems in our relationships is because we're holding on to people that are meant to be in our lives for a season. And we're trying to keep them there for a lifetime. So I'm reading this to her. And it was almost like, you know, you go to church and the minister's talking, like you feel like the minister's talking to you. I felt like this is a sign. It, it, It left such an imprint on me as I read it to her. And I had no idea that that night I would have to be, I would have to make a decision. Um, That night, my husband came home drunk, like full down drunk. He had my cell phone. He had seen some correspondence between me and a coworker. And I'm not going to sit here and act like I didn't know what he was talking about. You know, being in that situation, somebody else shows you attention. Yes. You're going to take it. Because it's validating your worth. You know what I mean? Like it's validating me. So he saw inappropriate messages that I earned and he came home raging. And before he had an opportunity to even say anything to me, he just held up his cell phone. And I knew, I knew in that moment that I was, this was going to be bad. And I remember seeing a flash of a knife and I ran to the landline and I called my mother. I didn't want to call the police. I called my mother and I said to her, I'm telling you right now, if you do not come get me, I am going to die tonight. I'm going to die. Oh, Letitia. Take your time. So we fought, we fought. And fought. I don't even know how long we fought. I fought. I literally fought to save my life that night. And I was stabbed. And I I remember seeing the knife go into me. But I was so full of adrenaline. I felt nothing but the warmness of my blood. And in that moment, his friend, we were living in a friend's house because our home had been damaged by a hurricane. So we were living in a friend's house and his friend burst into the room and managed to get me out of the room. And he literally threw me outside, right? Like leave. And in that moment, I'm there. I I don't even know what's happening. Like, you know, you're in shock. And my husband's throwing my clothes out the window. Like it's raining outside. My stuff's in mud. And I'm literally sitting there like, I, oh my God, I hope my mom comes to get me. Like, I, I don't even know what to do because if he comes outside and drags me back in the house and he's dragged me back in the house before, if he drags me back in the house, if I get back in that house, I'm going to die. And I knew it, even if it's friend there, I knew I was going to die. And my mom came and got me. Um, and we were trying to pack my clothes up into the car, like my muddy clothes in the car. And one of the things he used to do when he used to beat me or we get into a fight, he would go and buy me a piece of Louis Vuitton. So as I'm packing up my stuff in his rage, he threw the Louis Vuitton outside. So I'm packing it into the car. Like if nothing, I'm taking my purses. Okay. I'm taking my purses. (laughs) So he came outside, he still got the knife in his hand and he's literally unpacking the car as I'm packing the car to try to get the purses, 
right? And like I in a in a flash, I'm ready to fight for those purses. Like, no, they're mine, <laughs> right? And, and I caught myself like this guy could literally slip my throat over this bag in front of my mama. Mm. Like, is it really, really worth it? So we laughed. And I didn't want to go to the hospital. There's a paper trail. I get to my mom's house and we managed to stop the bleeding. And she tells me after I managed to stop crying and sobbing and everything else, she says, well, where are you going to go now? Because you can't stay here. Oh, gosh. And in that moment, I just felt so alone. Like, this is my worst. Like, this is the worst thing that could happen to me. And you're telling me that I can't even stay here for the night. Mm. So I was taken to the police station. And I was then sheltered in a homeless shelter. And I stayed there until I could generate enough money to put down a deposit on my own apartment. You know, I was in my early 20s. I, to be honest, I don't even remember how old I was. Probably 22, 23. Okay. Early 20s, I had never lived alone. I had never paid a bill. I had never been responsible. And here I was alone. I didn't know who I was because my life up until that point, I was defined by my relationship to somebody. So I was someone's child. Mm. I was someone's wife or girlfriend. Wow. So here I am having to rebuild my life. And I literally did not know who this adult person was. And, you know, I think that's probably the roughest part of my story, but it wasn't the easiest. I mean, it yeah. wasn't the hardest. Yeah. I think the hardest part was rebuilding from complete ruins. My life was in ruins. I had no relationship with my parents. I had isolated most of my friends by being in this relationship. All I had was work. So I worked and I worked. I had three jobs at one point in time because I didn't want to be home alone. And if I wasn't working, I was drinking to not have to deal with the noise that was going on in my head. It literally got to a point where I carried a flask with me. I used to go into work and my coworkers give me Altoids because I wasn't hungover. I was still drunk from the night before. Like my hangovers didn't kick in until three o'clock in the afternoon while I'm at work. And, you know, I I worked at the airport. I used to work 24 hour shifts. So I literally used to go into work from a night out. Like I used to go home, get a shower, still drunk, go into work. And as soon as I can get a nap, I'll go take a nap so that I can process my 24-hour shift to then go out with co-workers as soon as we knock off and start the cycle all over again. And, you know, it took me years. It took me many toxic relationships. Um, I ended up being in relationships with married men, not knowing. I ended up being in relationships with addicts, not knowing, because I needed someone by my side I felt like I could not do this alone so even if I was in toxic relationships at least at least yeah I wasn't alone yeah yeah um and it got to a point you know my decisions and my choices landed me in jail and being in jail you're faced with a reality like you've never ever ever been faced with it before Mm -hmm. and I remember having to call my mama and sit in, in front of her behind a glass, oh. having to explain to her, mom, I'm telling you, they got it all wrong. I have nothing to do with this, yeah. you know? That in that moment, seeing my mother cry on the other end, you know, like, you know, you heard people say, oh my God, it's so hard see being in prison. It broke my heart. And the one thing she said to me was, why are you loving everybody else more than you love yourself? Wow. And that was my wake up call. 
Um, I have been familiar with coaching. Um, I am a person, I really love Yonder Van Zandt. Yeah, and me too. I have been reading her books. Um, I have been introduced to the value of the value of the valley. And I think that in itself taught me to look for lessons in everything. Mm. So I was practicing it passively, but I knew in that moment being locked up, I needed a change. So I hired a coach and I started working on me. And I started by addressing the narratives from all the way back, you know, at the age of seven, addressing that and, and realizing that although we are social beings, my worth is not defined by how others see me. Correct. My worth is defined by whatever I say it is. <laughs> and that for me was the biggest breakthrough because I had spent up until that point, I had spent 20 years looking for someone to tell me that I was enough. Yeah. Because I had convinced myself with the narratives that I had told myself that I wasn't. And I, I yearned for that external validation Mm. so much so that it became it, it became to the detriment of my growth and my development because I defined myself by how someone else saw me. And I, all I heard all my life is you're too this, you're too loud, you're too opinionated, you're too vocal. So it diminished who I thought I was, right? So now, you know, having understood who I am, having defined me I'm using my too much yeah right I'm using it I'm using the fact that I have no problem being vocal I have no problem sharing my opinion I have no problem exposing my truth so that someone else can benefit from that right and you know a lot of times we spend so much time like why me why am I this yes why 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 and I I I could tell you in this moment I am so grateful for everything Mm. the bad the ugly and the downright disgusting (laughs) right because I stand in my truth today I earn who I am today Yes. You know, my my relationship with my husband, my stabbing, my homelessness, all of the destructive behaviors that happen after which all of them made me a survivor. They all did. Definitely. But healing myself, mm. changing my story, embracing my flaws and loving me, regardless of what anybody else thinks of me. Yeah. That is what made me a thriver. Wow. I'm just taking time to process everything, Letitia, because I'm telling you, if I didn't think I was going to scare the listeners, I would sit here right now and scream and cry and shout. I've got so much emotions for you right now because that was a lot. That was a lot. And I can only imagine... What an amazing coach you are from going through all of those adversities, because that is what it's about. You've gone through it. You've come through it. You can now teach others how to do the same. And most importantly, like you said, you're a survivor. And I am so grateful that you are here sitting in front of me, that you did survive, because that was scary. That could have been so different it was like he was just in this mad rage like he didn't care whether he killed you he was just being led by his um anger his frustration Mm -hmm. his feelings so 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 grateful to the person in his home that pulled him off the first time and extremely grateful for his friend that literally threw you out the house and isn't it funny that even if you haven't got the 
best relationship with your parents. When it comes to certain times, it's like, I'm going to call mom, I'm going to call dad. And in you, in your case, that's exactly what you did. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm just so, oh, wow, you, you, you've been amazing, Letitia. I'm so grateful for you to share in all of this to the listeners because somebody needs to hear this. This is not far-fetched. This is real life. This is your life. This happened to you. And I think sometimes people don't speak about what's happened to them because they feel it's far-fetched. Who's going to believe me? This sounds like a soap opera. It, it doesn't matter because you see, when you're watching these soaps, yes, they are characters played by real people like me and you, but some people actually go through these things and you are one of these people that have gone through a hell, but you are here sitting right before me this morning and you are alive to share exactly what has happened to you so you hired a coach I love that that was your turning point you were sitting I'm assuming in your prison cell and thinking okay what's next all I know is when I get out of here my life needs to be different and you were obviously intentional about that because here you are today an amazing woman, an amazing coach. Again, you're leading by example. You've turned your life around. Wow. How easy or how difficult was that process? How did you find your coach? And how long did it take you to feel like you were living a purpose-driven life? So... During that period, the reason why I had ended up in jail was because during that time I was in a relationship with an addict who I was trying to get help. And in that process, I met a drug and alcohol coach who she said to me, I remember her saying, she goes, you know, I don't usually get involved with friends and family but I see how broken you are and I want to help. So she gave me her card and I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready at that time. So, you know, my boyfriend at the time, who's not my husband, I must say, he's nine years clean, but my boyfriend at the time, you know, had put me in a precarious situation and to land in jail, like they came and took me off my job. (laughs) Oh. The worst thing that could have happened. I, you know, to land in jail that in that moment, that's all I could think about. I had just finished reading Peace from Broken Pieces by Yanna Van Zandt. So that story in itself, like there is hope for anyone. You know what I mean? That's what was playing in my head. Like this, this is your rock bottom. Mm. <laughs> this is your rock bottom and you have a decision to make you have a decision to make what are you going to do about it so after I processed being locked up the next thing I did once I got out was call that lady and and I just said I, I need help you know wow I can imagine you had so much to process though because yes processing being locked up but after everything you've gone through prior I'm just trying to picture at that stage, what does your mental health look like? Because people need to remember that we can go through physical things in life, but it really is those things that affect you mentally that are the hardest to get through. Those are the wounds and the scars that run the deepest because they play over and over and over in your head like a tape that you just want to smash, get rid of, don't want to hear anymore. So for you to make that decision to say, right, you know what? I'm not living like this anymore. I can't live like this anymore. I'm going to get help. And I love what you said about the people being in your life. I totally agree. For a lifetime, a reason or a season. So this particular coach that you wasn't ready for, you was not even looking for, came to you at just the right time. This is why, listeners, it is so important, even when we don't feel like it at times, to take the help that is offered. 
You never know where it's going to lead you to. When you walk through that door, what are you walking into? Yes, you have to be careful. Not every opportunity is for you or your opportunity. But I do feel within our being, we know, we know when it's time to say, do you know what? I accept. And I'm so glad that you accepted. Letitia, what can I say? I am just gobsmacked. Thank you so much for sharing your story. Before, you know, we leave this episode, I just would like you to give some encouragement to any listener that is listening to this right now, even if they've only gone through a fraction of what you you have ever gone through. What can you share with them? Or what would your advice be on being able to get themselves from that pain into their purpose? Everything that we go through has a reason. There is a lesson to be learned so that we can grow. And the reason why we often find ourselves seeing the same things over and over is because we haven't learned the lesson. I like to say, if at first you do not learn, life will teach you over and over again. So if you're finding yourself like replaying a situation and in the, the characters are different, the circumstances might be different, but you're feeling the same. <clears throat> Excuse me. Stop for a second and ask yourself, what is the lesson here? And if you can just focus on the lesson mm. and take everything that you can take out of that situation to edify you, to help you to grow, you will see that your life will improve. And I just want you to take every experience and use it as a stepping stone to take you to where you need to be. We all have tasks. We all have maths. We all have a story. Mm. But it's our responsibility to turn our test into a testimony, our maths into a message, and our story into hope and inspiration for others. Wow. What an ending. I absolutely love that, Letitia. And I'm telling you, I agree with every single word. You are phenomenal. Nobody can't tell you anything, Letitia. I've met some overcomers, but you are an overcomer. Wow, wow, and wow. That's one of my favorite words. You'll hear it a lot in this podcast. I'm always like, wow. But I'm telling you, with what you have shared with me, wow. The biggest wow that I could ever give. You are, you're amazing. You are amazing. And I'm just so happy that now you are walking in purpose. And you're right. We need to keep learning. If we're not learning, as you said, it can be a completely different relationship, a completely different person. But then why are you feeling the same way? Why is it like deja vu? I've been here before. Why is that? And you know what? It's okay, listeners, to admit that you are the problem because sometimes we are. I've been Mm -hmm. the problem before. We have to be honest. When you realize you're the problem, and when I say problem, it could just be that you are the enabler. You're the person that are allowing these people to do these things because, come on, we teach people how to treat us. Yes. Set your boundaries. It's okay to say no. Start small, grow those muscles. And then as you grow, you feel more confident to be able to say no to those bigger things, to set larger boundaries. It's all about accepting the fact that your mental health has to come first. And especially with Letitia and myself being a coach, it's ongoing. It's ongoing for all of us. But when you are a coach helping so many different people, we really have to make sure that our own mental health is stable and in check. So we have to do daily work. But what I would say to the listeners is make sure whether you're a coach or not, start from now, work on yourself daily because you are worth it. You will not find validation in another person. They cannot give you everything that you are lacking. That comes from within and you need to be able to find that once you're happy with yourself, 
you can then go on to create happy relationships with others. So Letitia Francis, it has been an honor. Thank you for choosing the Purpose of Pain podcast. And I want you to have an amazing day. And thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity to share my story. You're most welcome. Take care, Letitia. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Purpose of Pain podcast. What an episode, truly amazing. Letitia was seeking validation and it left her in a dark place. Her mental health suffered. How often we mistake toxic behavior for love when we don't know what love is. Letitia started off not liking herself and would do things for attention. Have you ever been there? People may be trying to warn you, but you're too blind to see. Letitia says, when we enter into a relationship, when we are wounded, it's like being an injured fish in the ocean. The great white shark can smell your blood a thousand miles away, circling and waiting to take advantage of your wounds. Beware of predators. When we seek any type of validation, very often our own actions are the weapons being formed against us. Often we don't even realize this. If you have ever been affected by domestic violence, I'm sure you can resonate so much with Letitia's story. There is help out there. Please do not suffer in silence. In the episode notes, you can also find Letitia's contact details. You can reach out to her. I pray for the healing of anyone listening who needs it right now. I welcome you back to listen to the next episode which will be episode five. Thank you for listening. Take care.